0: the successes they've had, ways that they have become so definitively focused on moving forward. We look forward to sharing their stories, and we hope that they inspire you just as much as they have inspired us. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Focused on Forward today. I have the privilege of talking with Kara Fernstrom, who's the host of a podcast called The Conquest of Bliss. So, I have the opportunity to talk to Kara because, well, she's got a really interesting backstory. And like most of us, it's not that we have just one thing happen in our lives. Uh, Like most of us, Kara has had multiple things happen in her lives where she's had to kind of take an alternate path or she's had to learn to do something different and make some changes in her life uh, for the better. And so I'm very excited to not only hear her story, but to hear how she focused on moving forward to get past and overcome some of these obstacles. So Kara, thank you so much for joining our show today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. And that was a really beautiful introduction. Oh, so, thank you. <laughs> um, I mean, I never really know where quite to start, but I'll start with when I was really young, sure. I was, I I. I. I don't, I, I hesitate how to word it, but there was a lot of trauma and stuff in my younger life that of course at the time i didn't realize was trauma but it ended up translating into addiction issues when i was a teenager so i was pretty deeply entrenched in my addiction there was issues with you know cocaine and its derivatives and things like that and then when i was 17 i started the process to go to rehabilitation and so I went to rehabilitation for just short of a year and learned a lot of life skills that honestly, like when I look back, I'm so grateful that I ended up having addiction issues because it brought me to a place where I ended up learning life skills that I wouldn't have learned without having those addiction issues, which is always such a, an interesting thing to me. And then going forward, I was so excited. I was clean and I was sober and I was happy and excited. And I started working a regular, normal job. Uh, I think I was did some warehousing, and then I was transitioning into corporate and all of that kind of stuff. And then I got sick. <laughs> and I, I have sarcoidosis and fibromyalgia. So for people who don't know what fibromyalgia and sarcoidosis are, because a lot of people don't, <laughs> um, both are characterized by um, autoimmune issues. And... Fibromyalgia is a chronic pain disorder. Um, it uh, it has muscular components to it, as well as something called tender points. And sarcoidosis is it it's inflammatory cells that grow in something called uh, granulomas on all sorts of different organs in your body. And I didn't know I had these until I ended up calling in sick from work over and over again. And I remember I remember getting a review at work one time. And they gave me five stars in all categories except for reliability. And I remember how much that broke my heart. <laughs> um, and so so that was, that was a really, really hard moment. And it ended up that I had to stop working because my reliability was just not there. And unfortunately, it was my, my body. It wasn't something that I can control. It wasn't something that I could sort of work through. My body would just crash regularly. And so following that, I ended up going into a pretty significant um, depression. I gained about 75 pounds, which is a lot, between depression and medications that they were putting me on and all of those things um, that sort of lead to these changes in your body and obviously exasperated, exacerbated exacerbated, I know the word, Uh, the depression. And it kind of sent me back to a lot of the things that I'd started learning in rehab. And it was skills like mindfulness, a lot of uh, DBT skills. So dialectical behavioral therapy for people who aren't aware by Dr. Marshall Linehan. Um, And so that involves things like radical acceptance and, and a lot of these different skills. But I found in looking for these skills that it was really, really hard to access. Either they were blocked behind a paywall because therapy, you know, costs a lot of money or there was a lot of high level jargony conversations around it. And I found that it was really, really hard, especially being depressed to find the tools, let alone implement them. But in time, I mean, I plugged through because it was like, okay, I can be sick or and unhappy or I can be sick and okay. Like, either way, I'm going to be sick. So what, you know, what are my choices? And it took a lot of twists and a lot of turns. I was in a in a psychologically abusive relationship for a while. And still studying, studying, reading, you know, talking to everyone that I could who had a grip, grip on these things, going to therapy, doing all the studying that I could. And then I got out of that relationship. And that's when I started I actually have a um, an art business called Artstrom, and uh, that's when I started that. And what was interesting about that was that I it was the first time I realized that the rules aren't as like the rules of what we're supposed to be and be able to do and all of that weren't nearly as solid as they originally felt. I realized that I could just tell the world that I was an artist and an illustrator, and they'd be like, "Yeah, okay." Like, it was really as simple as just deciding that I wanted to do it. Now, of course, being sick and being in Canada where we have a disability program that, um, you know, maybe doesn't, like, I'm certainly not getting wealthy off of it, but it's keeping me alive. You know, I've got enough to pay rent and all of that stuff. And, and that actually, you know, just kind of like the rehab thing turned out to be a, a privilege where getting sick allowed me the space to just decide whatever I wanted to do and build a life around the parameters, the, the limitations that my body had. And so I did Artstrom for a while. And I, I mean, I still technically do, although I haven't advertised in any way in like over a year. Um, uh, <laughs> like not even on my Facebook. But um, I did Artstrom and it really made me realize that I am capable of a lot more than I was ever led to believe. You know, you hear a lot, you've got potential, but that's never followed up with with any meaning. And so doing that really opened the doors to what I do now, which is just such a huge blessing and an incredible, like I I can't say enough about how lucky I am. So I started, I I posted on Facebook one day just randomly because people kept coming to me and asking me for advice because I'd learned all this stuff, right? Right. So they'd come to me and ask for advice, ask for advice, ask for, ask for advice, and so I was like, okay, I got to do something to make this public. I don't have time to tell everybody, so I said, should I do a vlog, a blog, or a podcast? And, and everybody said podcast, and and then I just got started. So I'm sure there's a lot in there that you want to know more about, but I uh, I never know. Like I said, what's uh, what's interesting?
0: Oh no, that's fine. Um, I, I think what I'd like to do is go back to let's talk about uh, where some of these issues began. OK. Um, so you said there were some trauma issues in your youth. Mm-hmm. Um, do you mind talking about those at, at, at some level of degree? Like sure. when, What are we talking about when we talk about trauma? Because it was a, like a physical trauma, a mental trauma, you know, things um, along those lines. So there
1: was a combination. Um, there was some uh, sexual abuse issues. There was okay. issues with sexism. Um, and then there was also religious trauma. That was involved in that. So a lot of it all kind of happened right around, like it really came to a head right around the time that I was 10 because I'd been going to a private school um, for the religion that I was a part of, a private school. And then they transitioned me to a public school and I started getting bullied really badly um, as a result of having, you know, no concept of life outside of my very, very small bubble. Sure, sure. So I I started getting bullied really badly. And then a lot of those issues that were invisible while living inside of that bubble started to come to a head. A lot of, you know, the sexism in my family, I'm the only girl of three. Um, And there was a lot of sexism and issues there. Like, just to explain what I mean, it wasn't, you know, like the boys get to eat more. It was like, all women are crazy and illogical and are really only made to serve men and uh, okay. <laughs> so a lot of issues around my sense of self and my place in the world and stuff like that. okay. Um, and very traumatic issues surrounding that. And then there was some incidents um, that happened, like I said, sexual abuse incidents
0: Understood. as well
1: as, uh, yeah, so just just that kind of thing. that's all.
0: Okay. And so that led so that was that you said around the age of 10 was when all that started. You said that you went to rehab at 17. What time What time did your addiction
1: issues begin? See, that's a question that I'm not even 100% sure I have an answer for.
0: Fair so enough. So I know,
1: I know when I started um, using different substances. So I was 12 when I first started drinking and smoking weed. Um, and when I was 14 was when I first used a chemical drug, um, MDMA. Well, actually, it was ecstasy, which isn't quite the same as MDMA. Um and by the time I was sixteen, I was fully entrenched. And to pinpoint when it went from experimenting to a problem, I, I really don't know that I could. But well, I, that
0: could be a very blurry line for someone who's who's dealing with that. And I'm sure that to some degree you were self coping with with the with the drugs to get through by you know what you were dealing with and home life.
1: Yeah, I think that it was a combination of um, escapism. And a desire to fit in. Because, like I said, I had been bullied really badly. Was very confused about, you know, my inherent value as a person. I didn't believe in that. I thought that I needed to be accepted. And so I think it mostly started as wanting to be part of and transitioned into escapism and not having any coping skills or tools. So I relied on external, external stuff.
0: Okay. Uh, So when you went to rehab at at 17, was this something that where you were uh, dealing solely with the alcohol and, and, and drug addiction issues, or were you dealing with some of the, the traumatic issues as well? Kind of like, you know, kind of all kind of crammed together and we're just going to take this all on at once.
1: Well, that's a really good question. And I think that's, I've never been asked that before. So I really like that question. I think that it's, uh, (laughs) I think that it's kind of, it was kind of a combination, like the primary focus, it wasn't a 12 step program, but the primary focus of it was to get us clean, but more importantly, sustainably clean and able to function in the world around us. So there was a level of dealing with trauma. I did have a therapist while I was there, but like the program was basically, It's so hard to explain, but it was kind of based on like the buddy system where like you would you would pick a buddy for each event. Right. So we would have meals one, you know, three meals a day. And then following those meals, we would have something called cleanup and you had a partner for each of those. And we would do something called exploring, which is still the term I use for today, actually, um, where you would just talk about your issues. Now, of course, we were talking with other teenagers who had drug addiction issues. So I would not, you know, call it therapy. In the traditional sense, um, but it did help me start to unpack some of my issues. So some of the issues around, you know, sexual abuse, that started to get unpacked there. But you know, a, a year is is not, it's not enough. Um, even with oh, a no. one-on-one professional every day, a year is not going to. I've been dealing with it for over a decade, and I still sure, sure. still struggle.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, and that only makes sense. I mean, you can't undo, you know uh, that much in that short period of time. There's the old saying, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day.
1: Mm-hmm. And so
0: you're not going to unpack that level of trauma in one year. It took yeah. you 17 years to get there. It's not going to unpack <laughs> in one year. Exactly. Uh, I wish it worked that way. That would be great. Wouldn't
1: it? <laughs> Me too. Yes. You know,
0: just, okay, I'm here. Let's get this done. Let's move on. Uh, that would be great. Um, but now one of the part of your story is that I I'm I'm most interested in, and not that I'm not interested in other parts of your story. But, uh, <laughs> that sounded really bad, and I. It's apologize. okay. You're
1: good. I understand.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I think, and I say this because it has some level of personal application to my life and 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 our story, is the autoimmune issues that you deal with mm-hmm. because my daughter is, of course, autoimmune, and with her dealing with Guillain-Barré syndrome, you know, you talked about uh, some of the issues with fibromyalgia and the sarcoid. Dysosis? did I say how do you say that thank you I knew I was going to slaughter that when I got to it but (laughs) um you know because you talked about how you know you had all that review and I think this really kind of hits home for me because of my daughter Uh, when we talk to my daughter about things you know she's you know she has lost nothing in in her uh mental drive her emotional drive you know all these areas she's very artistic she's very much you know her brain is functions as well as it ever has probably even at a higher level now that she's gotten older because she's gone through some of these things and she's understanding,
1: Mm -hmm. you know,
0: what's going on with her. Um, But one of the issues that she has is that, you know, some days is, as you said, some days your body just didn't want to work, you Mm -hmm. know? And then for her with, with Guy and Beret, it's very much the same thing. And so as you were talking about that, I was kind of relating it to, to us, uh, you know, there are days we have our good days and we have our, we have our, our bad days and, you know, we call them bad pain days and I'm bad pain days. You know uh, if she doesn't leave the couch, I'm not really getting all that you know excited about it. But I also know that those days are hard on her, you know, yes. emotionally because she can't do the things that she wanted to do or like she used to be able to do. So when you go through those days, because, you know, fibromyalgia and the other word that I can't pronounce, uh, are, are things that are not going to go away. Nope. Those are, these are things that you will have for the rest of your life.
1: Yeah. You know, Unless there's the, a miracle happens, but yeah.
0: Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, that's the, that's the problem with autoimmune issues. You take, you take those with you for the rest, the rest of your mm-hmm. days. So when you're having those type of days, how do you move forward? What, what helps get you through?
1: That's a great question. And I don't know if you noticed, but like I was like almost tearing up because it just it was very powerful. Um, and so for me, the biggest the biggest thing that rings through my head on those days and I have them, especially lately, I've been having them more regularly, which has been really challenging. Okay. Um, I can't say that that feeling of like that impotent feeling really ever goes away that, you know, you want something so bad, but you're kind of helpless ever really goes away fully. But the thing that I have really leaned on in the hardest moments is something that I call survival mode. And so that is when days are really, really hard, nothing else matters. And I tell myself, I tell myself that and, and, and thankfully I am blessed with a support system that's like you, where, you know, you don't get upset when she needs a day down, a down day. That's so important. And my partner is like that and my mom and my dad and everybody is like yeah, That's that with awesome. me. And it makes a really big difference because on those days, like some days, like some, some of those days, I am able to implement the, um, the psychological tools or whatever you might call them that help me get through. So I might be able to journal or I might be able to do meditation or take a long bath and do like self-care things that'll help me emotionally. But lots of days, I don't even have the energy for that. Lots of days it's all pain and I sit there and I feel like a victim of the world and it sucks so much. And in those moments, what I do is I just remind myself, you just have to get through this. Once this is over, like you've been through this before, you'll come out the other side. Maybe you'll have learned something. Maybe you haven't, but your body needs rest. And I constantly remind myself, this might seem like a little bit, I don't know, silly, but one of the things that really helps me is to remind myself that my body is just doing its best in that like pain is literally there for us to for your for your body's way of communicating with us right in the same way like our unconscious mind communicates with us all the time it sends adrenaline when we get embarrassed and then we blush you know and and when we burn ourselves on a hot stove it goes hey that's a hot stove we don't want to do that and all that's happening with chronic pain disorders is that it's misfiring, but I kind of think of it like a little puppy dog, you know, like it's just doing its best. Sometimes it pees in the house because it's all screwed up, but that's okay. And I sort of try to have sympathy for my body doing its best so that I don't get so angry with it. Does that make sense?
0: No, it does. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that what you're saying there about, you know, having sympathy for your, for your own body I think is actually a really important point Um, because I think sometimes and being a person who doesn't have an autoimmune issue, but, you know, watching from the outside, I think that sometimes, uh, especially even for my daughter, she's only 14, um, Mm -hmm. you know. And so I think that sometimes she expects too much out of herself and expects, you know, for things to be the way they were when she was 12 before she got sick. You know, and well, I used to be able to do this, so you know, I you know, why can't I do that now? And so, instead of allowing that sympathy for herself, you know, for that one day to say, Hey, I can move through this, and I, I think that's a, an important but I think difficult lesson.
1: Yes, <laughs> um, at 14, I can't imagine honestly if I were dealing with it because I'm 31 and still struggle with it, but right. I found that like the concept of mind body duality and I know that like scientifically it's not necessarily supported, but it helps, you know, it's perspective, yeah. um, the concept of mind body duality and looking at my, cause it, cause I looked at my body as the enemy for a really long time. Everybody right. else can do this. I used to be able to do this and now I can't. And so choosing to lean into the idea that my body is a vessel and that it needs love and care and compassion and you know like that it's it's just it's just a bunch of electricity and fat it's (laughs) I
0: I hate to laugh at that but it's I'm sorry it just uh
1: (laughs) that's okay but like my point is that the expectation we have on it like one of the things that really helps me in a sort of keeping perspective way Mm -hmm. is I like to look at the chances of existing are astronomically low. Almost a, like almost any belief system you subscribe to even like out, outside of that, just the statistical chances of, of of me existing as I am, are so crazy low that the chances of me having a body that works perfectly and looks perfect and does everything perfectly, are, are way beyond, and I like to feel blessed that I've got something to work with, even if it's frustrating, just kind of how I feel about my car.
0: Well, yeah, fair, valid point, okay,
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, my my car is kind of a hunk of junk sometimes, but hey, it gets me from A to B, and it allows me to experience things I can't otherwise.
0: There you go, excellent. Okay, so one of the other things you mentioned uh, in, in talking about how you deal with your, with your, your down days was the the process of journaling. Mm -hmm. Now, my daughter has taken that up. Uh, We have been buying notepads and notebooks, and (laughs) um, I think we're keeping the paper companies in business, personally. Uh, But so for her, I mean, this is where she writes her poetry. This is where she writes, uh, you know, her thoughts and her feelings. So, you know, as she's explained it to me, it's not necessarily a diary. It's not necessarily a journal. It's not necessarily a poetry book. But what is the process for you, you know, uh, share as much as you're comfortable sharing because those things are private. But, you know, what are what are some of the things that you journal about that help you to move forward?
1: So that's a great question. And before I get into how I journal, I just want to make a quick mention of something that also helps me and, and the journaling is kind of a part of it. Is I like to think about Stephen Hawking, you know, and how, you know, he was known for his mind and was able mm-hmm. to push forward. And then that's kind of how I think of journaling is, is it's a, it's a, a vessel for the parts of me that there are too much of um, to, to keep inside, but aren't necessarily things that I want to share. So I, I agree with your daughter's assessment. Mine's not really a diary. It's not really a poetry book. I do a process called free writing. And what that means is that I just sit down and I write. So some of my journal entries are like, I had banana pudding today and it was delicious. And some (laughs) of my journal entries are, I'm having an existential crisis. And some of them are drawings and some of them are poems. And some of them are, you know, codes that I've written for no particular reason. And there's a four-leaf clover taped in there. And it's just the parts of me. And I mean, and I share a lot of myself, but there's a lot more too. So it's it's the parts of me that I either don't want to burden people with or I'm not ready to understand that I'm not a burden about that thing or the parts of me that I can't really explain, but I don't really need to be able to explain to write it in my journal. I just need to get it out. So that's that's how I use that. And it can be really helpful in processing and that exploration topic that I was talking about earlier, Mm -hmm. like exploring our own minds. Is super, yeah. super important, but it can also feel too vulnerable with certain topics. And so I really use it as sort of an external version of myself, if that makes sense.
0: No, it does. Absolutely. No, I think that's great. Um, you know, because my, my daughter has said a, some things similar. She's like, well, it's not always serious stuff, Dad. You know, she <laughs> says sometimes it's just, you know, she just doodles, you know, because that's what's on her mind. And, you know, um, But, yeah, so I think that's great, you know, because uh, I think when we were we were going through counseling after she got out of the hospital because, uh, you know, I I needed counseling. And so I was talking to a therapist and trying to get my head screwed back in the right direction. I think we're about three quarters there, maybe. Um, You know, one of the things that, that was recommended to me was journaling. And so I said no to it. Um, okay. and strictly because I think I misunderstood the purpose of journaling and what journaling was and what journaling wasn't.
1: Mm-hmm. I
0: thought she, I thought my therapist wanted me to sit down and write like a diary out every day. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not a writer. I don't like to write, although I have started again and that's weird. Um, <laughs> so that's a whole nother story, but, uh, you know, so I said, well, I, I don't And that's how I got to podcasting because I didn't want to write. Mm hmm. And she said, well, maybe make a video blog, make a vlog. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think that I want to do that either because I don't I didn't want to talk about me all the time. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of how we got here to the point where I'm sitting here talking with you, um, you know, is that you know I talk to other people about some of the things that they go through and it applies. Sometimes it applies to what's going on in my life. uh, Sometimes it doesn't, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but uh, there's always something I can learn from somebody and what they do and how they're moving forward in life. Um, But yeah, so for me, journaling wasn't really an option of something that I thought was going to be applicable and helpful. But I see where it has benefits for other people, uh, because I see the benefits that my daughter has had with it. And clearly you've had some benefits with it as well. Mm -hmm. So,
1: well, and one of the nice things about journaling when paired with the concept of like, like, I'm I'm really big on using meditation, but not necessarily sitting down with my legs crossed and you know, going through some very hyper specific process, but about clearing my mind. But sometimes I can clear my mind by, you know, just gently allowing my thoughts to float away. And sometimes they're just really, really loud and they just need to get written somewhere because otherwise, otherwise they, I just, I just kind of explode them onto, onto life. So I I think, but honestly, I'm glad that you said no to journaling because that led us here.
0: Exactly. So other than uh, than journaling, do you have other creative outlets for for days when you're struggling or, or you're fighting depression and, and things like that?
1: So when you say creative outlets, do you mean outlets where I create or outlets that are creatively thought of?
0: Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right. All right. Fair enough. So um, either way. So for sure, creative outlets like I draw like the Dickens. I just never, never seem to stop. Yeah. Um, yeah like just constantly drawing um and and i really enjoy pretty much any kind of creativity i uh i know that you don't release the the stuff but i made this little tiny desk out of wood uh, oh, that's popsicle cool. sticks um stuff like that so i really enjoy doing stuff like that but of course my hands are not always you know well i guess i shouldn't say of course i my hands do not work very well on days that i have really bad pain days they swell okay out. <clears throat> so As far as creative outlets in the sense of, like, things that are more creative, I mostly – I mean, really not that creative stuff. It's mostly the stuff that people always talk about, phoning a friend, finding – You know, finding, um, I mean, I really like to pour myself into my work. That really helps, especially because of the topic of my work is happiness and well-being. Sure, It's really hard to stay unhappy when you're reading about happiness all day. (laughs) Um, So like in that sense, reading positive things um, and then, oh, this one actually is creative. Okay, I have a creative one and it'll probably sound obvious once I've done it. But I'm always surprised by how few people use this as a tool. One tool that I use when I'm having a terrible day, whether it's a pain day or an emotionally terrible, actually, they kind of coincide a lot, but sure, um, is I make a point, I, I set myself a goal, five people, whatever, and I will either just reach out to them and make sure that they know they're being thought of, or I will do something nice for them. If I have money, I will buy people things, whatever I, I can do to, because the thing is that it feels so powerless. Right. You feel like you've got no power and you're stuck in this this crappy situation. And by doing things that are nice for other people, you create a better world, which with within which to live. And it it sort of returns my sense of power where it's like I might not be able to change my situation right now, but I can make the world a little bit better for when I'm feeling better. And, and so that's, I guess, kind of creative.
0: No, oh, it's awesome. I love that. I really do. No, I think that's great. I think, I think far too often when we're in our, in a bad way, whether it's emotional issues, whether it's physical issues, it's a, you know, mental, emotional combination. I I think sometimes it's too hard to get out of our own way. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're able to put other people first in your mindset and do good things for them, whether it's just calling and saying, Hey, I'm thinking about you, you're important to me, uh, or you or as you said, you can buy them something, do something for them, nice, whatever. I think that's beautiful. I think that's a really good thing to do. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's a really great tip.
1: Thank you. Yeah. It's win-win too. So Absolutely. It does good for them. Win-win. It
0: does good for you. Yeah. Why not? All right. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Since 1982, Vital Signs and Graphics has been helping professionals with all their image, logo and design needs. Perhaps you're looking for signs and banners, truck and trailer lettering, business cards, brochures, or other image and marketing aids, Vital Signs and Graphics in-house design studio has you covered. From logos to apparel, start to finish, Vital Signs and Graphics has everything you need to look and feel professional. Call Rick at 231-652-3300. He'll get you noticed. And now back to Focused on Forward. So let's move forward a little bit in your story and let's talk about how you got into podcasting. You said you kind of threw it out on Facebook with a what should I do? But let's talk about the beginning of of your podcasting. Let's talk about your show, Conquest of Bliss.
1: What's it about? What do you do? You know, so the conquest of bliss, um it so it started, like you said, on Facebook, and it was really, really scary for me. And initially, I didn't really have a plan. Um the only two real goals I had when I started was be vulnerable, which is something another tool that is really surprisingly effective is um, embracing vulnerability. Um, so it was to be vulnerable and to talk about happiness and well-being with people and that was it it was really simple and as it's grown um over over time I have really kind of honed in the focus on being a library of of conversations about happiness and well-being and so nowadays I talk to Sometimes experts, psychologists, and neuroscientists, and anthropologists, and sometimes lay people. And so the experts sort of lend the, the expertise, right? They, they give an overall understanding, the mm-hmm. theory, the, the studies, and we talk about that kind of stuff. And then when I talk to other lay people like myself, we really just sort of flesh out what a lot of those tools look like when they're played out in real, in the real world. So like one time I had a fellow on who had unfortunately lost one of his daughters in, uh, in infancy, oh, which was I... really, really hard to deal with. Yeah. Um, for obvious reasons. And he talked about some of the tools that he and his wife used to cope with that. Some of the realizations that he had that that were stark, but so valuable. And so I, I'm sort of, I inadvertently at first, and now it's more focused. I'm creating a space for raw, vulnerable conversations about, about about well-being, because like you know, and I used to say happiness all the time. Happiness was the big word, but I feel like well-being is is really more accurate because well-being involves sadness. Well-being involves anger. It involves feeling your feelings and being truly human. And I think it's a disservice to pretend that happiness is more important than the other emotions. The other emotions really help complete it. And so oh, yeah, that's cool. kind of the idea of the show. And it's been a process in the beginning. I didn't have an editor and it's a little bit obvious. Um, but uh, starting at episode 22, I do. And there you go. <laughs> Yeah, and, and the process has been so transformative for me. I mean, I have missed very, very few weeks in spite of my health. And I, I'm i just so happy in the well-being sense. Like, I'm happy as in content with my life in a way that, honestly, with everything I've been through, I never thought possible.
0: Sure. You know, I and I, I don't say this to... Uh, put a knock on anybody who's, you know, throws out the happiness flag, but, you know, I've always figured that that, you know, it's hard to say, oh, we're going to focus on happiness. Well, there's other things that are attached to life. And I I love your approach to it because there are other emotions that have to be fleshed out, that have to be talked about, because Mm -hmm. that's all part of your, your mental and emotional health. We can't just be happy. I want to be just happy, but that's, that's not realistic realism says that there are days when I'm going to be mad or unhappy about things, or I'm going to be s- sad even uh, about things. And, you know, how do we, how do we navigate through those? So I think that being able to have those, you know, those kinds of conversations are very important. So I think that's where a show like yours is is so very important as well.
1: Thank so. you. And, and I mean, it's a, it's a funny thing because it took me a really long time to realize like and honestly, I'm kind of at a point now where I don't want to be happy all the time because I've really come to like a sort of a life hack that I have where it's like if it's good, it's good. And if it's bad, it's also good because um, like I'm able to learn so much from like if I have an explosive moment and like snap at my partner, for example. Well, I can I can figure out things that were underneath the surface and make our relationship better. Right. And, and stuff like that. So it's right. It's kind of cool. And it makes me look forward to the spectrum of emotions that I'm capable of feeling.
0: No, I think that's a very good point. So um, how often do you post new episodes
1: uh, once a week? Um, and then I also do, as I was talking about before, a game show on my Facebook uh, that I also okay. do once a week. It's on Mondays live at 6 p.m. PST. And it's literally just me doing a trivia show for homemade Conquest of Bliss merch. Um, <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then on Thursdays, I release my Conquest of Bliss episodes.
0: All right. Excellent. Excellent. And so, and how many episodes in are you now?
1: Oh, gosh, 70 something.
0: So, oh wow excellent all right
1: yeah it's been okay it's been a trip
0: <laughs> yeah sounds like it fantastic I think I'm 55 re- at release so far that's not including that's not counting my live episodes I, I don't count those in my episode count I probably should but I, I
1: haven't yeah I eventually yeah. just like was like you know what it's season two I can't just keep going with these numbers they're getting too high so now we're in season two
0: yeah. yeah. <laughs> Everything
1: I think, on my show is spontaneous. Go ahead. There sorry. You go.
0: No, no, you're fine. And I, I think when I switched over to season two it was much the same thing. I'm like, well, it's a new calendar. We'll call it season two. Uh,
1: so <laughs> one thing I love about podcasting is you just kind of make up the rules as you go. <laughs> exactly.
0: It's your show. You do it how you want. So that's oh, so much fun. Okay. Well, Kara, before we, we, we close up our conversation here, I have two questions I want to ask you that I ask mm. every single guest. OK, so, so the excited. first. All right. I hope so. The first question is looking back over the entirety of your journey. What is the single greatest lesson you have learned? Love yourself. OK,
1: that's it's really that simple um, to me is that it is it, it feels selfish to love yourself. It feels scary and it feels big, but anything that you want to do for other people is contingent on you being as well as you can in a given moment. So for all of your goals, they start with taking care of yourself.
0: Perfect. Simple and easy. I like it. All right. The next question, pretty similar to the first one, looking back over the entirety of your journey, what was the best single piece of advice you were given?
1: Oh, I don't know. I've been given so many pieces of advice. Um, probably just to ask questions if you don't understand. Okay. I mean, I know that sounds really simplistic, but it's it's taken me it's taken me light years. Oh, that no. sounds like I'm saying it's taken me a long time, but what I mean is it's taken me very far.
0: <laughs> no that's good you know I, I i think sometimes the best lessons and the best advice that we we get are simple because let's let's be honest uh humans are simple creatures and i think mm-hmm. this, the more simple that we can make something and we can break it down to where it's understandable and relatable i think that then it becomes something that people can they can pack up they can fold up they can put it in their pocket take it with them and down the road later they go oh hey i remember the advice i was given to Like you say, just ask questions when you don't understand. And that's a very valuable piece of information to have. I think.
1: Yeah, that's that's all I I was going to say is that it's I mean, what's cool is that like it applies to everything like there's nuance to everything. So if, if it doesn't make sense, ask questions, figure it out, make it make sense.
0: Perfect. All right. All right. So one last question. Where can people find out more about Kara Fernstrom and the conquest of bliss?
1: You can visit theconquestofbliss.com. That's theconquestofbliss.com. I love saying that, like I'm in, like on an advertisement.
0: Theconquestofbliss.com. Um,
1: yeah, <laughs> so much fun, right? Um, but uh, um, and if you go to the conquest of bliss.com, you are going to see a little thing that says where do you want to go, Artstrom or the Conquest of Bliss? You want to go to the Conquest of Bliss. There you would find my blog and all of that stuff. You can also find me at the conquest of bliss on almost all social medias except Twitter, where it will be the conquest of b1, because I am bad at Twitter. And Fair enough. I mean, I think that's pretty much it. I you can find me if you Google me, you'll you'll find. If you Google the Conquest of Bliss, you'll definitely find it.
0: All right. Sounds good. All right, Kara, thank you so much for your time today. And thank you for being a guest on Focused on Forward.
1: Thank you for having me. This has been so much fun.
0: I've greatly enjoyed it. Thank you. All right, guys, that's going to conclude us today. This has been another episode of Focused on Forward. Well, that concludes another episode of Focused on Forward. To be a guest of Focused on Forward, you can reach us through Twitter at podcast f o f through our Facebook page, named Focused on Forward, or through email, focusedonforward at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing each and every one of your stories that has yet to be told. So until then, be safe, be kind, and be loving to one another as you stay Focused on Forward.